Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Miracles in Recovery. I am in the studio alone tonight, Ellen Sarit fit to go hide in the mountains of North Carolina. Hi, Ellen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? A little warm up here. Is it, it, it's probably warmer than here, right? Because once it gets hot in the mountains, look, they, you just said yeah. like before, you yeah. don't even have air conditioning up there, right? Right. And it's upper 80s and very humid. You don't have to go like out into the outhouse to do your business, do you? <laughs> no, it's not quite that bad. <laughs> well, not it's that. not that bad. So you do have plumbing? We do have plumbing. Okay, well, let's get right water. to it. We we have we have a guest on the phone. Her name is Amy Dresner. Dresner? How do you say that, Amy? Dresner. Yeah. Dresner. Okay, I said it right the mm-hmm. first time. She's the author yeah. of My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. I like the I like the getting dirty and staying clean piece of it. That's that probably signifies and solidifies every single addict. That I know, you know, because we all yeah, get dirty and, and sort of, the majority of us are staying clean, whether dead or alive. Yeah, and it's also sort of like a double entendre because I was like, uh, I had to sweep the streets and I used to get a lot of street set on me. That was part of mm-hmm. my, when I got arrested, I was on a chain gang. So that was sort of the also getting dirty and there was sort of some sex addiction stuff and uh dirty so that's sort of all of that just just a, just a bunch dirty of dirty part. stuff um you know and the funny thing is is that when you when you look at that or or uh, looking at that statement um being an addict a recovering addict getting dirty encompasses so much i mean i right. never knew somebody out there that was a clean addict of course you know, yeah. I've, gotten, um, I've gotten a lot of flack from the sort of recovery advocacy groups because there's been, been this big movement towards using substance use disorder mm-hmm. and that terminology. Oh, don't, don't get him started on that, Amy. <laughs> you know, I was, that, that I was is gonna, my favorite thing to, to fuss about. Yeah, fuss. <laughs> I was going to, I mean, I wear it. I was going to um, say something about that like later on in the show uh-huh. about, right. uh, you know, no, no, that's okay. About using the, the terminology of addict, oh, alcoholic, yeah, done, clean, done, sober, um, substance use disorder. It just kind of, that just kind of um, yeah, pretties <laughs> it up a little bit for me. You know, it kind of yeah. it kind of just pretties it up a little bit. And mm-hmm. and my, my um, the devil inside me wants me to pretty it up and wants me to take the focus off of the dirty part of it. And it was living dirty. I mean, I, my, I would take off one pair of pants to, and, and they would stand up in the corner until I put them back on six days <laughs> later. So, you know, that's dirty. And if yeah. my if my mind tells me, well, you know, you really weren't that bad, you would you would just substance use. You just had a substance use disorder. Yeah. I mean, no. Serious. Yeah. I agree with you. And it also sounds like we have a total medical cure for it, 
which we don't. You know what I mean? We don't really have it sorted out yet. And I understand it for insurance purposes. I understand it for legal purposes. And I understand they're trying to break the stigma. But for myself, I need to really own what happened to me. And that's how I let go of the shame by really owning it. I mean, I, I don't, don't know I don't that many. I don't other. know that many addicts. I don't know that many addicts that I've spoken to that would defer to that terminology. You know, I, agree. Um, I mean, but there are some. There are some, and they're like, you know, it's like I'm the expert on my own experience. You know, I don't. I don't like other addicts. You know, ex-addicts telling me how to describe myself, and I just. It just the substance use disorder does not describe my experience. Uh, you know, if you read the book, I mean, people are like, mm-hmm. when they finished it, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're alive. You know, substance yeah. use disorder, yeah, it's like a shiny. And I guess my, my whole thing is like, you know, they go, well, it sounds more medical. It doesn't sound like a moral thing. It doesn't have the stigma. It's like, well, AIDS sounded very medical, and I, that still had a stigma until what? until AIDS awareness, AIDS ride, and, beca- and when mm-hmm. it's stopping a death sentence. So I think it's really stories of hope that's going to break the stigma, not changing the name and making it right. pretty and polishing it up and putting a tiara on it and making it sound, you know, like something well, else. I think, I think the prettying it up may have come not from the addicts themselves, but from the families, you know, people like me who are or was desperately trying to save someone who didn't want to be saved. Oh. And, you know, one of the things that I felt was my flag to wave was, you know, she's she's a good girl. She's, you know, she's just sick. Mm-hmm. It's not really bad behavior. It's an illness. And, right. and you know, but, but when you use terms like junkie and addict, they have such a negative connotation. And, and I think some of it came from there because I have found in the, in the um, addict community that a lot of you guys are very opposed to the terminology. Of, of which? Uh, substance of use substance disorder? use disorder. And then, you know, yeah. you can break it further down into what the type, you know, like opioid use disorder, cocaine use disorder, marijuana yeah. use disorder, alcohol use disorder. And yeah, then you get I into the, I, the eating I, problems and yeah, all of I that. don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not for it. It's like, but uh, I well, just. And, like, and I you were right. Some of it is for billing and statistics, you know. But one of the things that you said, and I think I was reading an interview you did, was that you feel like addiction needs a spectrum, you know, kind of like we do with the autism spectrum. And and that really struck me. I I found that extremely interesting because I think it's true. So explain that a little bit. Well, I just, you know, I know people that, you know, where they picked up and immediately it was full on all the time and they can't use any substances safely at all, and harm reduction Hello. has never been an option for them. Uh, yep. <laughs> Hello. And I know other people who, you know, who stopped on their own or had a little problem early and then, you know, had some time and now can drink normally. And, you know, it's like that wasn't my experience, but it's like I think the absolutism, and I am in 12-step, and I don't really follow anonymity because I think that's super outdated. And, again, like if we can't break the we can't break the stigma of addiction until we break the stigma of recovery. That's really how I feel. So I'm very open That's about a good everything. Statement. Yeah, that is an excellent statement. I agree with you 100. percent Yeah, I said because what kept me away from 12 step rooms for a long time was that I thought it was some creepy Christian cult. And a lot of people after they read <laughs> my book 
were like, oh my God, you almost made it seem cool. And like, will you meet me at a meeting? I've never been and blah, blah. Even though I, I guess, bashed the fellowship. But I didn't bash the fellowship. I talked about the, 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 the flawed human beings that are trying to get better in the rooms. It's not, it's, you know, it's not where you go when you're on a winning streak. So it's a lot of people not, you know, with, that don't really have it together, that are quite ill. And out of control. Right, they're they're, 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 there. they're That's why true. they have meetings. No. Hmm? Yeah, that's why they have meetings for sick people. You know, no, and just yeah. because you have a little bit of time, um, it doesn't mean you immediately get well. You know, I've I've been coming around since 1989. Uh, fortunately enough, that's that's my last uh, my last use was in 1989. And I have 29 years clean, or, or sober, or however you want to um, dictate that. But I am no way do I raise my hand when people say who's well in this room, because right. I know I'm not. Right. You and know, just, and I'm, you know, I'm also very just like, hey, this is the path I took. And however you get to the destination of what you consider recovery, great. You know what I mean? Whether that's smart recovery or a refuge recovery or Buddhist, whatever it is, good for you. I'm not a fundamentalist. You know, I mean, I'm in 12 step. It worked for me. It saved my life. But I, I'm very, you know, that's not for everyone. And I get that. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing, and it's, I don't think addiction is one-size-fits-all, as I was talking about. I mean, I do know people who have left the program and have been fine. But I know for myself, I've done that experiment over and over and over, and that has not been my experience for me. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and if you look around, that's not a lot. The majority of people's I experience. I agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think, you know, I just I see people where... You know, they're just addictive with everything and other people where they can sort of, you know, it's, they've really got a problem sort of with opiates and other stuff they don't they can take or leave. So, but um, anyway, Ellen, why did you love the book? And I'm sorry to hear that you had a family member that you were trying to help. Yeah, and my father said that substance use disorder would have given him more hope, but it would have been yeah. more dishonest yeah. if they'd said, oh, you have your daughter's substance use disorder. He would have been like, whoo, you know, but that it would have been... He would have thought they really had a handle on it, and after six rehabs, he realized they didn't. <laughs> right, you well, give I you give a clinical your, your you, you give a clinical label like that. Probably similar to mine in that, um, you know, I'm I'm just a, a middle class working person, you know, from a nice family, soccer mom, the whole thing, and my daughter was one of those who did it once and took off. I mean, that you know, she was gone. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when I look back on it now, started with um, a really bad accident, you know, almost lost her legs in a boat accident right before she started high school. So she kind of lost her her high school career. A lot of surgeries, a lot of opioids, uh, developed an eating disorder, you know, I mean, the whole progression of things. But mm-hmm. she told me the first time she smoked, her, when she smoked her first Oxycontin pill at her high school graduation party, that was it. She was gone. And I yeah, had I no idea. Yeah, that's how I felt with Christmas. I just had no idea what, yeah. you know, what horrible roads it would take her down. Just mm-hmm. things that I mm-hmm. couldn't conceive of, could not conceive yeah. of. So I'm reading your book, and I'm thinking this is probably, you know, a lot of it, she could draw parallels to 20 rehabs, no telling how many halfway, sober livings, jails, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. you can imagine. You know, me trying to get her off the streets of L.A. when I'm in Florida at an Al-Anon convention. 
Oh, my God. And, and she's wandering around because she was kicked out of a rehab with some life coach, supposedly, who's calling me and saying, you know, for 10 grand, I can fix her. It was a nightmare. Oh. But, you know, I mean, oh. for now, she's okay. Good. Thank God. Good. But, but that, that. Yeah. that type of, of life, you know, when I see you explaining how you felt, that's the kind of thing that I just didn't understand. And that's oh, why that I'm so really related to reading this. I can provide that for you. Yeah, I mean, it 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 really helped me a lot. I couldn't put it down. I I sat outside oh, and read it all day. Thanks. Yeah, I've I've heard from a couple of family members of addicts, and um, they've said, you know, I I understand my brother now better. Or it was like having a conversation with a fam- my, with my family who are all addicts, and that I can never have, and I understand it better because it's very much like I strap you in for you know a front seat you know, wild toad, Mr. Toad's wild ride, you know, right. uh, you're with me through the whole thing. First person in the mind of an addict. I wanted to show people what that's like in the body of an addict and what it feels like. And it was very, you know, it's pretty raw. So really happy that it did that for you. That makes me really happy because it was, it was for addicts to feel less alone and to give them hope. And it was also for, you know, people who wanted to understand addiction better. And I'm just, I'm thrilled that it did that. Amy, why don't you share? For this mama, it really did. I I can tell you, um, I've been trying to understand it for 15 years, and this helped me more than anything. Oh, Ellen, thank you. That was what a parole officer told me. He said, now I I understand it more, and I've been doing narcotics cases for 23 years, and your book helped me more understand it professionally and personally than anything else. And I was like, really? I, I was honest. I was super honest. I didn't try. Nobody ever is. You know, it's like it was. You know, it's like if you're trying to look at an addiction memoir, come on, you're not being honest enough. (laughs) No one expects you to have it together and look good like that. You know, so. Well, I thank you for putting it up. My daughter, my daughter is a beautiful, you know, relatively spoiled. Had all the stuff growing up, and you know, her experience was. Probably pretty similar, so it, it's it's so helpful to to read that, and it got five stars on Amazon. Oh, I know. Why don't you Why don't you <laughs> share where people can can find the book? Um, it's at Barnes and Noble. It's at IndieBound. Most people are buying it on Amazon, but you can buy Barnes and Nobles in certain stores, or you can buy it on Barnes and Nobles online. But Amazon seems to be where you can you can get the audio book, you can get the Kindle, you can get the hardcover. The paperback is coming out in September, and we're about to close the series negotiations. So there might be a TV show based on the book, which is like crazy oh, no. exciting. Yeah. Oh no, kidding. So, I mean, that would be my dream to bring like addiction to the screen in its reality, in its multi-dimensional reality. We're not monsters. We're extraordinarily sensitive people, you know, yeah. and really, really bright. And I want, I would love to show the entire thing, not at all being a sort of just salacious extremist stuff you know I think that would be a really good idea particularly now when there are so many people that are suffering with this yeah you know and, and it's yeah. becoming a lot more I don't want to say mainstream but you know what I mean there's there's just so of much course. more yeah. press about it because there's so many kids that are dying so many, yeah yeah all these kids are dying it's terrible it's terrible it really really is and yeah. you know, I think oh I'm very happy to hear that that's a Good news. <laughs> Ray, what, you want to jump um, in here? 
So, 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 what your what is the next steps with writing? Are you looking to do something else, or was this just a one-time uh, thing to get your get the load out and then um, move on from there? Well, I've been writing for the Fix, an addiction recovery magazine, for six years, and I've written a couple pieces since the books come out for them as well. So, uh-huh. I'll always be a writer. I was a writer way before I was a drug addict. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, people are clamoring for book two. So I've got a lot of interesting things that have happened uh, since, since the end of that book that I don't want to give away because then people will, you know, I don't want to ruin it for a reader. Right. But, uh, now, do you, have you know, a, uh, do you have a monthly column with the fix or is it no, just... No, I kind of write whenever and... Um, you know, my mother's fallen ill. She's uh, she broke her hip, and she's uh, wheelchair bound, and she's starting to develop dementia. So that's sort of been interesting to be the the problem child, and now be in the position where you're sort of the parent to your parent. It's, it's uh, uh, yeah. I think time. we can probably relate a little bit with that too. Yeah, and I mean, I'm so happy to be clean and sober to be able to show up for her because I wouldn't have been able to do that a couple of years ago. So I right. think that there's like I've got a book, a second book in me. I've got definitely more more pieces for, uh, you know, for for the for the fix, and uh, you know, possibly writing on the TV show that's based on my book, which would be nuts. Making sure it stays authentic. That to me is what's important. Really important. It stays realistic. Yeah, it really right. is important because you you can't pretty this up, and I'm sure a lot of people who read it and then look at you. Or not, you know, or just shocked. Yeah, I should look a lot worse. <laughs> well, I think we all should. If we wore, if we wore our ghost on the outside, I think there would be a real zombie apocalypse out there because yeah. of all the damage I mean, I that we do to ourselves. We're about ready like- to go. We're about ready to go to a break, and uh-huh, okay. um, we will pick this up on the other side. Okay, sounds great. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Be 
You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, we're back. Dial 866-472-5792 if you want to share your experience, strength, and hope. That's 866-472-5792. If you have any questions for Amy, by all means, give us a call. We will allow you to do that. And also, you know, like, um, I'm looking at the book, and I took the I took the cover off the book. when I, I, I never have the cover on the book because I just can't. You know what I mean? That's just uh, I just I just can't do that. So I took the cover off, and I'm uh-huh. looking at the book, and it's a white book. Is there a reason for that? I did know. You, did I you... didn't know that actually. I never took the cover off, but someone sent me a picture of it, and yeah, and I I thought that was interesting. Oh, so you didn't you didn't decide to, to white no, for a reason? It never, just came no, out white with purple letters stuff. on it. Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. Uh, but but you know the 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 random thing about that is is if it just showed up on the press this way, the 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 color for recovery is purple, correct? I don't know, is it? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of there's a, like you know the the there's a lot of groups who use the color purple um, for for recovery purposes, and oh, this is a white book with purple writing. I mean, that's how just how random wow. that is. Yeah, yeah that's far out. You know, and I, yeah, and you know, looking looking through it, I, I you know one of the one of the first things I look at is the dedication, and um, you know, you dedicated it for anybody who thinks it's too late. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that still think it's too late. And fortunately enough, that's why we have the um, ability to get to those people. And I don't mean on the radio. I just mean being out there and being who we were and how we are today. Um, people can look at us and go, wow, I guess, I guess that recovery stuff really works. I mean, I know Absolutely. that there are people out there that haven't seen me for the last 29 years. And mm-hmm. if I walk back into a bar that I was thrown out of 40 years ago, they would say, I knew you'd be back because misery loves <laughs> company, right? <laughs> but to look, at, to look at me and to see how I live my life today like Ellen says it all the time, I would never know that that story that you just told me was you. Right. You know. No, you don't and, believe it because you're so different when you're not, you know, eaten alive by your addiction. Right. Yeah. When you're not. When you're not all sudsy. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, so so did you did you have anything to do with like the front cover of the book with the smoke and all of that or, or was that I something? Mean, it wasn't. The, the graphic team at Hachette came up with that, and I loved it. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it looks smoke, awesome. I mean, it smoke, is it crack smoke? I love yeah, the blue and the purple. Uh-huh. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was dark, but sort of sensual and sort of interesting. And um, I, I mean, I was just thrilled with it. But yeah, they have a I whole mean, it's fitting for. That is big, so, you know, but I was really, really happy with it. But they had worked really hard on it, and I was like, I love it. I think it's gorgeous. And yeah, you know, I know like the, the look of it. The look of it kind of makes it 
you know, like um, makes you makes you want to grab it. I mean, because once yeah. one it says "My Fair Junkie" in big white letters, but the smoke <laughs> and the different color and all of that kind of really makes it enticing. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job. I'm, I mean, I, I'm really lucky to have a terrific editor and a terrific, you know, publisher and terrific agent for all that. They were really supportive of me the entire time. And now let we have. My let, let me let me ask you a, a, a quick question. We have a gentleman who comes on all the time, David Essel, and uh-huh. he dictates his books into his phone, and oh, then wow. ultimately okay. sends them to the editor. And the editor, I don't know how they do it. I mean, it, however they do it, but the process comes out with words on paper, and it's a book. Did you physically type all of your chapters and send one in, and like? Tell me how you went about getting this book published. Um, so basically, like I said, I had become sort of known as sort of the enfant terrible of the fix. You know, like the girl that <laughs> says the thing that everyone is thinking, but no one dares say. You know, right. I was I'm very raw and humorous and that kind of stuff. And um, I, another friend of mine who was also sober and also had been a comic had just gotten a book deal, and I just asked her, I just said, hey, would, would you mind passing on a few of my writing samples? And she was like, no problem. So she sent it to her agent, and he was like, oh, my God, I love it. I love your writing style. Like, I, I, let's talk. And so I pitched him my idea for my book, which was basically, you know, the chain gang that I got arrested for and put on for trying to... For, brandishing a, a knife at my now ex-husband while I was high on Oxycontin and sort of that was the turning point in my life. I lost everything and went to jail and, you know, ended up penniless and, you know, everything turned around. The princess lost her crown and I had my, basically an epiphany. I had a, a Satori, like a spiritual awakening where I was like, whoa, you know, like this is, and I really decided at that point whether that was going to be the best thing that happened to me or the worst thing that happened to me. And I decided it was going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was. But um, I pitched my book idea. He loved it. I wrote it. Um, he's like, slow down. Oh, my God. He's like, slow it down by half. <laughs> like, wow. And um, so I've been used to doing editorial stuff, which is sort of 1,800 words with a bow on it. You know, and a, and a, and a book is a much longer. That's a marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, addicts, we're not that great at marathons. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, I fleshed it out and then I did a proposal and, you know, which included my platform and testimonials and the entire outline of the book. And he went out and sold it. How long did it take start to finish? Like to to get it, to get it out on the press. I had six months to finish the book. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is very short. Thank God I'm a fast writer. And I had been chronicling a lot of this stuff as I went along, and I got to also use some pieces of, of my fixed columns, which was very gracious of them, and I gave them credit in the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I turned it in in November of 2016, and it came out in September of 2017. Cool, and, and and it's been it's now. now my life can you completely changed? <laughs> now, can you physically walk into a bond? Can you physically? Can you physically mm-hmm. walk into a Barnes and Noble and see your book sitting there on the shelf, or is this all? Yeah, it's a total rush, you know. Yeah, wow. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, when I got the first thing of books, I just I, I was in shock. I mean, it's the first time I'd really finished anything I'd started. 
and I couldn't believe I, I had done it. And yeah. as someone who had relapsed for 20 years and been in four psych wards and six rehabs and, you know, was kind of a lost cause, I, I had done the unthinkable. I had taken all this horrible, horrible stories and made them into a, a hopeful, funny tool for other people. And yeah, and you know, there's one thing that I've there's one thing that I've heard over the years that um, dull people don't make good addicts. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, you know, it's like Bill Burr, the comic says, you know, nice people don't have good stories. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And, and I'm, I, I, I am in no way downplaying anyone's anyone's uh, own personal story, but. The majority of people that I know have some kind of, for lack of a better word, specialty that they come out of um, full-blown addiction with. Right. You know, and, well, and if you, and if you can find it. Co- like a comic spin on it, not taking myself so seriously. And also, yeah. I mean, I had so much material. You didn't, I didn't have to make anything up. I mean, what happened to me was horrific. I mean, there's a scene in the book, I mean, and this is real, where I, I had developed epilepsy from my crystal meth use. Uh-huh. And I had been sober for seven years, and I relapsed. And I started shooting cocaine. And I would shoot cocaine, and I'd have a grand mal seizure. And instead of saying, hey, you know, I shouldn't shoot cocaine with epilepsy, I shot cocaine in a bike helmet. So I wouldn't hurt my right. head. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, sadly, I, I in, something inside me just said, "Well, that makes sense because now you're protecting yourself." You know that that's the sick. That's <laughs> that the kind of twisted the thinking that's created yeah. enough to keep you from banging your head. Yeah, you that's the madness of addiction. You know, like uh, yeah, that that makes sense. I don't know. You know, I, I I'm fortunate enough to be able to understand things like that when you say it as crazy as a common person would say whoa that's just like yeah, what is horrified. wrong they're horrified when i tell that story but other people are like oh my god that makes you know all recovering out yeah. that makes total like it's a high impact sport and how do you get what you want and avoid the consequences but like normal people are totally are horrified <laughs> yeah well i've been around you guys long time. enough i'm not like, I, I see the logic in it you know yeah i was like this is brilliant you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, some really, really horrible stuff happened. I, you know, and I, and I really, but I saw the humor in it because I'd been a comic. I'd been a stand-up comic for five years prior to sort of my life blowing up when I, before I'd been getting arrested. I mean, I'm 48 now. I went into treatment for the first time when I was 25. Right. And you struggled for so, a while. Yeah. So I have, yeah. And I've had periods of sobriety and then fallen off the wagon and then, you know, we're in and out of the program and it was so, for me, I had to lose everything. I had to lose every single thing and be left, so did, like literally penniless in a psych ward to get it. So did active addiction knock the comic out of you or is that not something that you just, not at all. That's the book's hilarious. I mean, the book is, no, no, I know. But what I'm asking funny. is, is you don't go back up on stage anymore, right? Oh God! Yeah, no, no, no. I don't. I'm not. I'm not interested. I haven't been on stage since you know for seven for seven years since my arrest. No, I've been mostly concentrating on on writing. I never was uh, loaded on stage. I mean, maybe once or twice at the end on Oxy, but I just I had to focus on getting my life together. I had to focus right. on supporting myself financially, and I 
was really, really a wreck. And I was going through a criminal trial and a divorce and I was sweeping the streets on a chain gang and I was in rehab and then I was in, you know, a couple sober livings and I really, that was my focus. My focus wasn't doing, you know, a tight 10 minutes at the comedy store, you know? So, and also, yeah, that, that's kind of, yeah. Two of, you know, comedy is funny. It's what's funny is how broken you are, like how pathetic it is and how bad you are. And like, and I really wanted to shift my identity from look how crazy and broken I am and recast myself in my life as right. someone who was able and not making fun of myself all the time and all that kind of stuff. Not that I don't, I'm not self-deprecating. Of course I am, but I just, I, and I didn't, I don't know. I just adulation and applause. None of that mattered. I was really like, I was trying to survive financially and as well as, you know, get sober and get it together and not go to prison. <laughs> it seemed like it was a process. I mean, a lot of people, myself included, initially I thought, well, you know, she'll go to AA or NA and they'll, they'll grab her in there and they'll just fix her. And you expect it to be instantaneous, but it sounds like it took years. Yeah, it did. I was in and out and I had time and I had sponsees and then I'd relapse. I had like five sponsees and I was like a secretary of a meeting and then I relapsed. I mean, that's the thing. For some people, they, they roll into a meeting or they go to rehab and they're like sober ever, you know, from that point onward. That's not been my experience. And I haven't seen that a lot either. Honestly, you know, I know a lot of people that, that have this and, and I have not seen it be instantaneous ever. Right, right. And I think, it's, and I think that's a big misconception the, that people have. My first thought yeah. when I found out was, you know, I'll send her to the best rehab in the country and she'll be fine. We're, you know, let's just wash our hands of this. And that was anything. But, I mean, she got kicked out after three weeks. And, yeah, you know, yeah. my parents, too. It wasn't parents long until the jail left, stuff started. Left with the cable guy? Huh? I said, and she left with the cable guy? Remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, any mother was telling me. with a cable guy? Yeah, she. Well, that that wasn't that rehab. This was that was no, it. no. Was I, a, know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just throwing that in there. I mean, that, that you know, yeah. to add to the madness that we, you know, we we all have these crazy, um, stories that normal people say like, what? But you, as a parent of an addict, can totally relate and understand when an addict says something a little bit off the wall because you've experienced the other side of it. Yeah, it seems completely normal to me now, you know? Like I say, my mom was telling me, oh, yeah, I picked her up in this parking lot. The cable guy, after two or three days, brought her, you know, he didn't want to deal with her anymore, and she was hallucinating, completely psychotic, and, you know, here's my poor 80-year-old mother trying to deal with it. Because she had walked out of a Christian rehab in the middle of nowhere in Georgia, which I, again, thought was going to fix her. And I had left her there and gone back to Florida. And they said, well, she left with the cable guy. We know who he is. And he's a mess head. out of a movie. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just so crazy. Uh-huh. Just so crazy. So. Now, we said something about, about parents and, and all of that stuff. How did your parents react to what you became? I mean, no, I, I know that it says that you came from privilege and, you know, you fortunately enough had loving parents. How did, how did they react and what happened during your madness 
um, regime to, to the family unit that... Um, well, I never had a family unit. My parents split when I was two. So they, my parents didn't really talk. They talked sort of when they were making up a, a plan to kind of rescue, like, okay, Amy, you know, is overdosed again, or Amy is this, and what are we going to do? But in general, they didn't, they don't, they don't talk. They don't, they're not that fond of each other. Um, so, uh, I was in my mid-20s when I started getting into drugs. My mother is a recovering alcoholic, so she understood it right. much more. And she was also an amphetamine addict, and so was my uncle. So my mother was less frightened by it. My father was extremely frightened by my drug use, and it really, really freaked him out. And I had been a, quite a late bloomer, and so I think he thought I was going to sort of, I was going to be safe. You know, we made a bet when I was, you know, 13, and he said, I bet you'll smoke or dr do drugs or drink before you're 18. If not, I'll give you $1,000. And I was like, great. You know, and I waited till I was 19 to drink, and then I, you know, smoked Then you used $1,000 for weed. Huh? Yeah. I said, then you used $1,000 for drugs. Yeah, and then I found crystal meth at 24, and it was, and that vacuum opened up inside me, and it was on, and it was right. horrific from that point onward. Um but there was points where my father didn't want to talk to me. Um, there was times when he would drug test me. There were times when he would say, hey, you know, if you don't stay clean, I'm going to cut you off. Um, mm -hmm. But they also kept throwing me. They were so desperate for me not to die. They, we tried yeah. everything. I mean, we tried exorcisms. We tried uh, body work. We tried acupuncture. We tried, uh, you know, shamans. I mean, I kid you not. I mean, we tried every type of alternative therapy. We tried every type of, you know, uh, psychiatric drug. We tried every type of therapy. We tried everything. I mean, they were desperate. Um, yeah, I can relate. And, but they never gave up on me. They never cut me no. out of their life. They never said, no, we're not going to talk to you. They always believed I'd get better, both of them, both of them. And that's what I needed. I needed to believe that they believed I could get better because there were points when I didn't think that I could get better. And, and was the there, fact that they believed was all I needed. But was there ever a point where they had to turn their back on you in order for you to pretty much lose everything in order to be able to say... They ran out hey. of money. I mean, I was married and then I got... There was no real money. I mean, there was no money left. Both uh -huh. my parents were sort of broke, and then my ex-husband sort of left me penniless, and so there was no money. They didn't have to right. turn it back. My father helped me, you know, pay for sober living and helped me, you know, sort of get a car and whatever, but um, no, they never did that. They never did that. And you have to understand, I had, huge, I had long periods of sobriety, which is what, what makes me a very strange case. I mean, I had seven years, I had three and a half years, a couple yeah. times, that kind of stuff, which makes it really frightening. I mean, just the other day, you know, going through this serious negotiations and also I've been off nicotine for a month, which was another drug I was using to sort of push my feelings down. I have five and a half years. I had my heart broken last year. Um, I've been celibate since then. And if you read my book, I struggle a lot with like sex addiction and act, sexual acting out. And so mm -hmm. I haven't been doing that. So I've been total good girl and I'm not. And, uh, you know, dealing with my mother and uh, I walked out of my house. And I thought, God, I'd love to have a cigarette. And I thought, well, you don't smoke anymore and you don't vape. And so let's just go get a coffee. You know, feelings aren't facts and we don't have to, you know. And I walked and there was a huge bag of crystal meth in the street. Probably left over from pride. Oh, and wow. I freaked out. 
it was the first time I'd felt that triggered in five and a half years. And I had first time I'd seen my drug of choice in like 13 years. And I looked at it and I walked up the street and then I found myself autopilot walking right back to it. And I just thought, why, what's going on? Like, why am I not recoiling from like a hot flame? Like what's happening? I'm scared. And I picked it up and I was looking at it and I called someone from the program and I was like, I don't know. I'm really freaking out. I don't like the way I'm reacting to this. I'm really scared. All my neighbors are away. No one would know. But, you know, it's like, I still have grandma epilepsy. Like, I don't want to lose my sobriety. And he was like, no problem. We're going to flush it. Put it, put me on FaceTime and we're going to go flush it right now. And so I did the right thing. But it's, it never, what it reminded me is like, it's always going to be there. It will always, mm-hmm. always be there. I mean, but you know what the, you know what the, the, the best pearl, thing, the best thing you did was tell on yourself, you know, um, and not only not only to the individual that you called that walked you through it, you then went on Facebook or wherever you it was. That, you yeah, yeah, you saw yeah, that. You, yeah, you went on you you went on Facebook and you 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 um, enticed all of the other people to look at that baggie that you, that was so on nice. the street. <laughs> they were like, right? "That's a little triggering," but I wanted people to see what I saw. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it, it, it's true. I mean, we live in a world where we have to take life on life's terms, and sometimes yeah. we walk upon something that is an uneasy experience for us. What are we supposed to do? Stick our heads in the sand? Absolutely yeah, not. I, We're supposed to walk through the other way. Right? pictures of drugs. You know what I mean? Like people go like, I don't want to see that. It made me sweaty. It's like drugs. You can Google crystal meth and you will see bags of crystal meth. Like it's, there are shows called dope on Netflix. I mean, it's everywhere, but Uh I got so much, um, support and love from that post. And I wanted to show people that, you know, cause it's like, yeah, five and a half years is like, Oh, and you wrote a book and you're, you know, people are like, Oh, you're famous. I'm hardly famous, but it's like, it's not, there's this outside thing where it looks so great. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to be really honest about like it, you know, I sort of cuddled around it like a campfire instead of recoiling from a hot flame. And people were like, that helped me stay sober that day. Thank you. Yeah. You know, you know and the thing, that, the thing about that is, is like, you know, I saw some of the, um, better thans, um, posting. Oh, on Instagram, and, I ended up blocking you know, him. Yeah, that was. I horrific. wanted to. I wanted to. You know, one of the <laughs> one of the things that have kept me grounded mm. is to share that I, you know, I have twenty nine years clean, but today's a good day to get high. That right. never goes right. away. And and if you it saw does, that guy. you saw exactly what I'm talking about. I was. That's very off putting. I'm really glad to hear you talk about that, Ray, because to me, it's not a competition. He was, he claimed to be extremely spiritual and have a lot of time, and yet he was the only one of hundreds of posts and messages um, on Facebook and Instagram to put me down, question my program, Mm -hmm. tell my friend he had mediocre sobriety, or, you know what I mean? Like, so to me, that's not recovery or spirituality. Spirituality and recovery are accepting differences, supporting people, um, being humble, being loving, doing what you did. Yeah. And not yeah. judging. Someone. <laughs> not judging. Like I can't control my thoughts and my feelings. You know, it's like, I'm an <laughs> addict and it's like, of course I'm going to see my drug of choice. I'm, you know, my body's going to be, <gasps> you know, and it was like, I did the right thing and I stayed clean and that's what matters. It doesn't matter. You can't control your thoughts. 
that's really no. where I, what I got to, what I finally got to in Miss Sobriety was like, who cares about your thoughts and your feelings? It's your actions that matter. And eventually, if you take the right action over and over and over, it changes your thoughts and your feelings. And my whole life, I had just gone, you know, let my feelings drag me around on a leash, and I did nothing with my life. And then, you know, writing a book takes a lot of dedication, and believe me, you don't always feel like writing about it. And there's some stuff in there that does not make me look good that I did not want to write about. And the same thing with the gym. It's like, you know, I'm starting to work out again and put my body back together, and it's like, you know... You don't feel like working out, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's your action. The, you take the action no matter how you feel, and that's been incredibly empowering to me. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asking yourself into right thinking. I mean, I had a sponsor, and he said, you don't have to be a good person. You just have to act like one. No one knows the difference. And I said, well, that's horrible, you know, and I used to be very about my truth, but it doesn't matter. Action is character. Right, well, and and you become up, you ultimately do become that that individual action do. anyway. That's the yeah. irony. In the beginning, yeah. it's fake, but then it becomes real. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they. I think that's why when you're new in a recovery program, they suggest that you do as we do: go to a meeting a day. You know, um, become part of the group, become part of whatever it is that we do within the confines of that hour or hour and a half uh, recovery mechanism, because sooner or later, you will become the individual that is welcoming you in the door. You know, action action speaks a lot louder than words. And if, you know, somebody's, somebody still telling, has the idea out there that I'm no good because of the last time, the last interaction I had with them 32 years ago, there's somebody out there that still says like this guy, right. That I'm no good. My action shows completely different. Now, Shame on them for not looking at my action today, but mm-hmm. I could still be that person that's no good if I was still out there doing what I was doing. My actions didn't allow me. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So I had to create like completely, I mean, I really, really, when I lost everything and I was sweeping the streets, I was just like, wait a second. I really need to change the way that I look at the world. You know, my mm-hmm. entitlement, my selfishness, my immaturity, my, you know, belief that I'm broken and that everyone needs to fix me. And they had for a really long time. It worked until, you know, it didn't. And then everyone was like over it. Everyone was over it. <laughs> and then you were left to your own devices and yeah, said, and I had now to, what do I you know, do? make a career, you know, and learn to support myself and do my taxes and learn about everything in my 40s. While, like, I got to you know, tell you something. I got to tell you something. I, like I said, I got clean in 1989. I just, three years ago, did my taxes on time. I used to take an extension, a six-month <laughs> extension. I'm like doing like Every single year, like, I would uh, take an extension. Yep. <laughs> right? So, and see, I would yeah. totally freak out if I had to do that. No, I had no problem doing it because they, they give it to you. They, they give you six months. I didn't do my taxes until October. And, um, you know, but that was something that I had to work. It was all part of my process to get back to, uh, not back to, I mean, get to a reasonable, um, I did, I did them in February this year. That's how quick I did them, you know? Wow. That's impressive. You know, 
and that's growth. Some of you look at that and go, "You're goofy," but no, that's not that's not no, goofy. No, no, that's no. growth. Yeah, as an as a, as you know, as an addict and alcoholic, like you know, we're very much sort of you know, throw it in the drawer and it doesn't exist. You know, just exactly. close our eyes in denial and push it away. But that takes so much energy. It's so much easier to just do it than it is to just keep pushing it away. But, I mean, for me, a big part of my addiction, aside from the biological hook, was, you know, I, wa- I wanted always the shortcuts. I always wanted mm-hmm. the shortcuts to happiness, yeah. to everything. I wanted everything handed to me. I didn't want to work for anything. And I didn't want to grow up. I wanted people to do the hard stuff for me. And it's like, you don't get self-esteem that way. I had no self-esteem because I never had to do anything for myself. And I got self-esteem, you know, writing the book and sweeping trash. You know, it was me and 40 Mexican guys, you Uh know, on a chain gang. And it was like, I showed up there as some, you know, snobby princess from Beverly Hills thinking, ugh, you know. And they were like, you know, what are you here for? You know, I'm here for a DUI. What are you here for? And I'm like, I'm here for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. They're like, oh, my God. I had more yeah. time than anyone else. My charge was worse than anyone else's. It was super, super humbling. And it's exactly what I needed. And I'm so happy it happened. I wasn't happy at the time until I had my shift and thought, wait a second. You know, at the beginning of my book, there's a Will Rogers quote. And it says, the yes. worst thing that happens to you can be the best thing for you if you don't let it get the best of you. Yeah, no, and, and, that, saying, and, that, okay. and that's very true. Do. Not easy to do. No. no, but you know when no. you when you look at people and they're so much so down on their luck. I mean, I can I can take all different points of my active addiction where going through what I was going through is a blessing for me today where I thought it was a serious detriment then. You know, so oh, so that totally, that quote makes absolutely. so much sense. Yes. Yes. You look back and it's like, well, that's life, right? You know, you take the you take the uh, the test. What is it? You uh, you, you get the, what is that? Oh, God, I can't remember now. I don't know. I went to vote. I don't know. There's like a saying about life that you sort of you know you get the test first and you get to study for it after or something like that. I forget <laughs> what it is. I don't know. I've yeah. had too many drugs. I've had too many seizures. My memory is yeah. shot. But um, so that yeah. that doesn't happen randomly. Still, does it? Your seizures and stuff. Oh, well, I'm on two medications. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, they're under control, but I'll, I'll have epilepsy for the rest of my life. Huh. I have hyperactive lesions on my brain now from crystal meth. Yeah, I've had them wow. for 15 years. Yeah, so... You know, and, the, and those uh, are the things that people years. don't even... Those are the things that people don't even think about. Like these people that are smoking all this uh, spice and all of that stuff, it's hardening their brain and all kind of yeah. crazy stuff like that. And you don't yeah, even, you're, really you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I have all my teeth and I look pretty good. Yeah. I don't look like an apple doll, like a lot, you know, like a normal mm-hmm. tweaker, but, um, I was five years clean when I started having grand mal seizures and, uh, there's no epilepsy in my family. And you don't just randomly get epilepsy in your thirties. And I had now a, a, like a traumatic brain injury and the neurologist was like, did you do a lot of drugs? And I was like, oh. And so that's, you know, if you play, you pay. That's the way it is. So, right. yeah, I've been on medication for 15 years, but I've had some really horrible, I've lost my license twice. Uh, I've cracked my head open. I've broken teeth. I've had stitches in my face. You know, it's pretty scary. <laughs> well, the picture really doesn't look that bad. Um, you know? Yeah, I mean... 
Uh, no, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's scary. No, I'm saying, you know, having epilepsy is really, yeah. really kind of terrifying. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think people know. I mean, that stuff's cut with Drano and all kinds of weird stuff and what it's yes. doing to your nervous system. You're going to end up with ticks or, or some kind of Parkinson's, like something weird. It's not good for your brain or your nervous system. All right. Uh, we have about two minutes left before we are done with the hour. It went by pretty quick. I even, we even cut out a break. Um, oh, I got it. You get the answers after you take the test. There it is. Thank you. That's a good thing you got it before we hung up. Um, okay, so <laughs> you get the answers after you take the test. Why don't right? you That's let true. everyone right. know? That's true. Yeah. Why don't you let everyone know how they can get in touch with you, how they can get your book, um, um, I'm on where Twitter. they can read your columns on The Fix? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you can go to The Fix and you can type in Amy Dresner, and I've written over 50 articles for them. You can go to my website, amydresner.com, and there'll be all my podcasts. Eventually, this one also, this radio show will be uploaded, um, articles, testimonials, uh, links to the book, press. Um, I'm on Twitter as Amy Dresner. I'm on Instagram as Amy Dresner. I'm on Facebook. I have Amy Dresner official page. Um, and, uh, yeah, grab the book. It's a, it's a ride, whether you're an addict or not, and it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, I can attest to that. Funny, it's really good, and I'm important. anxious for the TV show. Yeah, and I think it's important to laugh. I think humor is a really important part of it's very, very, and, very, very you know, important to laugh. Right? It's well, like we're out of time. You could and just moving forward and laughing about it. And so the book is funny. It's really, really darkly funny, and I think that that's yes. important. And I've gotten messages from people just going, "God, thank you." Like I just feel less broken and less alone. And you know, you get into the world of going to treatment, and I just cry. Because I just, I was a warning and now I inspire people and it's just so mind-blowing to think that I could ever have, you know, crossed into that and transformed into something like that. Well, th- thank you for being on, Amy. We're out of time. I'm getting, yes, the, I'm getting the thing that we're out of time. So um, hopefully we can have you on again and we can pick the conversation back up. And um, Ellen with Miracles in Recovery. Hope is in your corner. Have a good night, folks. Thanks, Amy. Good night. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.